there are times when we just know exactly what we need to pray, and there are times in our nation's history where we know how to pray. I think we're at one of those pivotal times in our nation's history, in the history of the church in America today, and I think the obvious way for us to pray is Psalm 85 and verse 6. I'm praying this every day now in my quiet time as I begin my day. I begin with this verse, this challenge, because this is what the sons of Korah were praying for. They've been through years and years and years of spiritual drought. They had suffered the consequences of their forefathers. There was a spiritual deadness among the people and in their own family tree. And the sons of Korah were broken and prayed this prayer for God to revive us again. There's not a more powerful and personal prayer that we could ever pray. We need to be praying this personally and we need to be praying this corporately. Will you not revive us again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? I don't know if you noticed, but there's not a lot of rejoicing going on these days in the world in which we live. It's very easy to wake up and find yourself discouraged, overwhelmed. There's a higher level of anxiety and discouragement than ever before. We are primed as a people, as a nation, as a world to experience revival and we can't calendar it we can't manufacture it but we can prepare for it and we can pray for it and so i am challenging us to join together and to pray to begin to pray this simple prayer of psalm 85 and verse 6 and that you would do that every single day now as we get ready for that there are some things that uh, we are leading our whole church to do personally and corporately to prepare for revival to let God revive us again and all revival is is God breathing new life into that which is dead there is a spiritual deadness in the body of Christ in this country there may be a spiritual deadness in your own walk with God and maybe it's not that you're completely dead spiritually you're just not thriving spiritually pray like the sons of Korah God revive me again I want to challenge everyone in this audience to come back today at four get your nap in get your lunch in four o'clock join us in the children's building all the youth as well I, I want to encourage us to gather together and I want us to start pursuing some things spiritually for God to bring revival not just in our lives but in our very own community we're gonna do what we do when we go on a mission trip every mission trip we take matter of fact we have somebody on mission right now in Burundi Kent Wilkinson is on a three-week mission trip Laurelyn and Valerie have just gotten back from uh, Costa Rica and from Honduras and have been a part of mission trips there and every mission trip we take we begin right at Will Rogers Airport and we begin prayer walking all of our way to wherever we're going and we continue to prayer walk every day that we're on that soil so that we might have the power of God, the protection of God, and the favor of God with the people that need to know God. Well, why would we do that on mission trips but not do that in our own backyard? Why would we be more committed about people away from us than people who live with us? We need to have the same passion. And so I want to invite you to come this afternoon, 4 o'clock. We're going to meet in the children's building, and we're going to have a mini workshop. We're going to study scripture. We're going to look at the principles of prayer walking, and then we're going to go practice our prayer walking right out here behind the church through the streets of our neighborhood in the shadow of our steeple. 
We've been polling the church, and it came up 50-50. Some of you think Saturday's better than Sunday, so we will have, moving forward, after we practice today, every Saturday and Sunday, we will have opportunities that you can pop in and you can be a part of prayer walking. We'll dedicate Saturdays at 10 a.m. and Sundays at 4 p.m. As long as the Lord leads us and you can make it, you show up and we will go out into the streets of our city. That's something we're doing corporately. But then we're also, God bless you, that's pretty cool. I was all right with it. I was getting there. Everybody give it up for Alex, the multitasker. I'd kiss you, but your wife is watching. All right, well done. Good job. Thank you, my brother. You're good. All right, let's jump in on the next part. The next part is not only are we going to be prayer walking and engaging our community, but we're going to be engaging our own spiritual lives. We're entering into a season where we are seeking God. We're seeking his face and we're seeking his strength. And so we're going to enter into a season of prayer and fasting. I'm going to ask you to begin right now, starting today, to begin every day, even if it's just 15 minutes. If it's longer, good. If it's just 15 minutes, that you would begin every day praying and communicating with God. I'm going to also ask you that you'd let God communicate to you through his word and that you would read a psalm a day. Why a psalm? Well, the book of Psalms is actually a record, a Holy Spirit-inspired revival. As you read through the Psalms, it's David and others, just like we saw in Psalm 85, the sons of Korah, the psalmists were all experiencing a personal revival. God reviving their spiritual life. And so as you read the Psalms, you will grow in your heart for revival. So I'm asking you to start praying every day. Take 15 minutes in the morning and close your day. The last 15 minutes minimum at the end of the day, focusing on what God taught you through that psalm and what God taught you through that day, that we would seek him, his face. I don't want you to spend time just crying out to God and seeking his hand, but you just spend time, nothing but spending time with God in his word and hearing his voice. I want you to write down at least one truth God shows you that day in his word and as the Holy Spirit leads you through your day. And then we'll be doing some things corporately. As we enter into Holy Week, uh, we will begin an emphasis of adding fasting to our prayer. Scripture talks about prayer with fasting. We're going to talk about that today. And starting next Sunday on Palm Sunday, we will enter into a season as a body of believers, not just praying daily, but also a season of fasting during Holy Week. Uh, we will also have the family Passover. You'll be reminded about that in connection points at the end of today. Uh, and then, whether it's if you don't show up for that, you can start a fast that morning, that day. You can start it after the family Passover on Palm Sunday, but from Palm Sunday through Good Friday, I'm calling us into a week of prayer with fasting. Then when we get to Good Friday, we will join together as one body, and we will break the fast with the Lord's Supper. I believe it's going to be a powerful time of corporate worship as we experience God breaking our hearts and reviving us again. And then, of course, we'll work our way into Resurrection Sunday and celebrating the res resurrection of Jesus the next Sunday. And so, let us dedicate ourselves with one heart cry 
for God to revive us again. So this morning, I want to equip us from God's Word on one of the most missed, practiced spiritual disciplines of our faith. Most people would say, and I think it would probably be true of us in this room, it certainly is true of me, that most have neglected the spiritual discipline of fasting. We've heard about fasting. We read about fasting. We know that it is talked about in Scripture, but very few are practicing that spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, I would say it this way. I would argue, though, that while most in the church in America are not fasting as we see in Scripture, I would tell you most in America are great at fasting. How's that possible? Because I would say this, we have been fasting from fasting. Oh, we know how to fast. We know how to abstain. The problem is we're abstaining from the wrong things. We've been fasting from fasting. I have. I've been in the ministry since 1986. I can count on one hand how many times I've fasted since I've come to know the Lord in 1981. How sad is that? I've embraced the other spiritual disciplines, but for some reason I've never really jumped into the spiritual discipline of prayer with fasting. Why is that? Well, some of that falls back to me. Some of that is on my own walk. Some of that is on me as your pastor, not preaching and teaching. And so today, you're going to get some teaching on fasting. Are you ready? Can I get an amen from those who want to learn about fasting? Right around lunchtime is a great time to talk about fasting, is it not? Let's jump in on it. Fasting is not some magical thing that just all of a sudden opens the heavens. You can fast and still not experience God. How do I know that? Because the day in which Jesus walked on this planet, they fasted all the time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the most religious people on the planet were fasting all the time, but they were not connecting with God. They were just fasting to fast. I want to take you through Scripture, and I want us to take a look. What is fasting? How do we come to understand what fasting is? Well, I believe that fasting is a believer's voluntary choice to abstain, most of the time, abstaining from food. Why food? Well, think about it. One of the biggest drivers of our appetites is our stomach, our hunger pains. The physical hunger where we hunger for food goes all day long. Have you ever woken up one day other than maybe when you had COVID? Uh, have you woken up one day where you didn't crave food at some point during the day? It's just automatic. We hunger for calories. It's amazing when we take a time, a season, to instead of feeding our physical appetite, pursue a spiritual appetite, to let those hunger pains remind us that we can't live on bread alone, although I've tried it. You can't live there on the physical sustenance of this world. There is the bread of life that brings us the true hunger that we desire. And so a fast is a voluntary uh, uh, opportunity for a believer in Christ. There are people all over the world that fast that don't know the Lord and that's not a true biblical fast. It's for those who know the Lord and who seek his face and seek his strength. It is not just fasting for fasting's sake. It's not just fasting to miss calories and skip meals. It is with a spiritual purpose. It is to seek his face 
and to seek his strength. Brother Drew, our associate pastor, handed out to all the staff a great handout written by Donald Whitney. I encourage you, I think he's been teaching on it on Wednesday nights, The Disciplines of the Christian Life. And in that book, I'm using a lot of references that Donald has highlighted about the discipline, spiritual discipline of fasting. So if we talk about fasting, let's look at it biblically. What, what is the fast? Well, in Scripture, there are different types of fast. Uh, normally, what you'd see, what would be called the normal fast, is abstaining from food but not water. Jesus modeled this. Uh, Forty days in the wilderness as he was called to launch his earthly ministry. The Lord led him to pray with fasting. He fasted for 40 days. Now, I love you too much to call you to a 40-day fast, all right? I'm not going there. If I called you a 40-day fast, I probably wouldn't be your pastor next week, nor would I want to be your pastor, quite frankly. But Jesus went there, prayed, and he fasted. Apparently, though, he took in liquid. He took in water because at the end of the 40 days, it says, and he was hungry. Duh. At the end of 40 minutes, I'm hungry. He was hungry because he was withholding, abstaining from food because he hungered for the Father's will more than he hungered for a happy meal. Unfortunately, we'd rather have our calories. We'd rather seek to please our flesh than to hunger for the things of God. Fasting will take you into that realm in a very powerful and special way. So there's normal fasting in Scripture. There's also examples of partial fasts. Daniel did this when he was taken into exile. Uh, he was a part of the chosen young men of Israel that Nebuchadnezzar was going to brainwash and train up to be his future generation. The Bible says Daniel so loved God and so walked with God. Not only did he not bow down to the king, but he also understood his body was a holy temple. And when the king expected all of the young men to eat of his rich foods, and to partake of his diet, Daniel did what is called a Daniel fast. He fasted from the rich foods, and he ate vegetables and drank water. That would be a partial fast. Now, fasting may not be something you think, wow, I can't wait to do that, but what about a vegetable fast? Anybody signing up for that one? Probably not my favorite fast, but that's what Daniel did. That would be an example of a partial fast. There's also examples of absolute fast, where they fasted and they didn't eat nor did they drink water we have an example of Ezra in the Old Testament who withdrew from food and drink for days because of the faithlessness of Israel he was so broken he did an absolute fast the Apostle Paul when he was saved on the road to Damascus and struck with blindness the Bible says for three days he sought God's face. He couldn't see with his eyes, but he could see with his heart now. He had a new heart. And the Bible says for three days he didn't eat food nor drink water. So there are those rare occasions of an absolute fast. There are occasions that Jesus taught about that we're going to study. Take a look at it. Go to Matthew chapter 6. It's called a private fast. A private fast. And that's what we'll be practicing Although we're also implementing it somewhat as a congregational fast. That would be the other type that we see in Scripture. Congregational fast that were called in Scripture. In Acts 13, it says that the church in those days were worshiping God and fasting together. And so there are all these kinds of types of fast that are talked about throughout all of Scripture. But we don't seem to be practicing any of those fasts. 
We're missing out on a spiritual discipline that Jesus talked about. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 1. He said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Jesus is going to confront the spirit of religion versus a spirit of relationship. God desires to relate to you personally, to be not just the God of this universe, not just your Lord and Master, but your Heavenly Father. He just desires to relate daily with you. If we're not careful, we can make spiritual disciplines a legalistic way of connecting to God and earning God's favor. It becomes rituals, not relationship. It becomes something we do to prove we're spiritual versus experiencing the Spirit of God in our journey. Jesus said, don't, don't do spiritual disciplines and show it off in front of people and act spiritual. Because if you do that, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. And so Jesus begins to teach about spiritual disciplines. It's fascinating. He begins to teach them and address the things that they were doing to try to be spiritual, but they weren't being spiritual. He confronts them about the way they were living their lives. They should have been feeding the poor and taking care of those who were in need. And he talks about giving in the first few verses. He says, as you do this, you should be doing it. You don't do it publicly. You don't say, hey, watch this, guys. Watch me take care of that dude on the street corner. Watch how much cash I fork out. He says, don't do that. You don't serve and you don't give. That's a spiritual discipline to be noticed by your peers. You do it because I'm alive in you and you're bringing my love and my abundance to those who need it. Why do you do the spiritual discipline? Verse 1 and verses 2 through 4, he talks about our giving. In verses 5 through 15, he spends even more time talking about the spiritual discipline of praying. Obviously, that's a big component of our life. We're called to give and to minister to people in need. We're called to pray and to have communication with God. And so he teaches about that, and he says in the same way, that you are not to pray publicly and on display and long, flowery, fancy prayers so that people can say, ooh, listen to them pray. Wow, they are spiritual. Who's your audience? Is it people seen, whether you're spiritual or not, or is it your Heavenly Father? You see, in the spirit of religion, the audience is this world. In the spirit of relationship, the audience is the audience of one our heavenly father. And so he talks about giving. He talks about praying. What's the next spiritual discipline you think he's going to talk about? Well, look at it. Verse 16. He goes on to the third discipline and he says this, and when you attend church, don't just, is that what he goes after? Church attendance? No. Look at what he addresses. And when you fast, I don't know how that hits you, but here's how it hits me. Lord, I don't fast. I try to give. I try to serve. I try to be a good steward. I'm seeking to grow in my prayer life and to pray, God, revive us again. But God, I got to be honest. I don't fast. Do you? Oh, remember we fast from fasting? That doesn't count. I'm talking about a spiritual fast. I'm talking about a fast where we seek God's face, the spiritual discipline. And God says this, whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as hypocrites do. Don't neglect your appearance. So other people say, oh, they're obviously in a season of fasting. 
He says, no, don't do that. But when you fast instead, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who's in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Notice here, Jesus didn't recommend that we fast. Jesus assumed. Jesus knew we would be fasting, but we don't. God, forgive us. God, forgive me. He said, when you fast, he gives us great teaching here. He expected us to do these things, to give, to pray, and to fast. So why do we do the other so easily and yet fasting so seldomly? God, forgive us. Revive us again. So Jesus taught three things here, a negative command, a positive command, and a promise. The negative, he says, first of all, if you're going to fast, make sure it's with a purpose that you're fasting for an audience of one. Don't do it to be noticed. In those days, what they would do is you would know who was fasting in town. And a matter of fact, many times they were fasting because they had to. It was requirements. It was their spiritual do's and don'ts. It was their religious practice. And they'd walk around and it'd be like the walking zombie dead. Oh, I'm fasting unto the Lord. Lord, sustain me. And they'd kind of be walking zombies through town. They'd make sure they didn't take care of their hair. They'd make sure that they weren't looking fresh. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't. That's the negative. He says, instead, what you should do is you should walk as a shining light because you're experiencing my face. When Moses met face-to-face with God, he didn't come off the mountain going, oh, man, woe was me. He came down shining the Shekinah glory because he had been face-to-face with God. Jesus said, when you are seeking my face, it should show up in your countenance. You should be fresh. Don't draw attention to your fast. Don't draw attention to your spiritual disciplines. Draw your heart to me. So as we fast next week, nobody's going to be monitoring you. Somebody drives by and they see you picking up some takeout. Nobody's going to be, Pastor, did you know? Homie was down there at Ninja loading up on the rice that's between you and your god and there are all kinds of ways you can fast i'm just going to encourage you to practice what jesus assumed we'd be practicing prayer with fasting and oh notice this jesus said there is a promise that when you fast with a purpose when you fast not just to fast like the pharisees did but you fast with a purpose Your God that you are seeking in secret will reward you. Now, we're not fasting for the reward. We're fasting because we hunger for God. We're fasting to seek his face, to seek his strength, to experience God because we need fresh life in our hearts, in our worship, in our churches, in our country. Would you agree we need revival? So we seek him. We seek him with a purpose. Donald Whitney did a great job of highlighting 10 purposes, and you can write them down if you want, or you can just listen in. I just want to show you all the different purposes we see in Scripture of why people have fasted in the past, why God would lead people to fast. Number one, they would fast because they needed to be strengthened in their hearts, their hearts for prayer. 
Daniel was an example I already gave you earlier. And when he was in exile, he needed God's strength. He needed God's protection. He needed God's favor. And so he prayed with fasting. That's a great purpose. Number two, why else would we fast? To seek God's guidance. Paul and Barnabas, as they would uh, take their missionary trips, as they would reach people with the gospel and plant churches, it says that before they ever appointed elders... In other places, deacons in Acts chapter 6, before any of those leadership roles would ever be filled, they would pray with fasting because they didn't want to lean on their own understanding. They wanted God to give them wisdom. So they were seeking God's face, God's guidance. Number three, often they would have fasting, seasons of fasting, because they're expressing their grief. When King Saul was killed in battle and his son Jonathan You would think David would be rejoicing. Why? Well, King Saul hated David because he knew he was a threat to the throne. King Saul had made David's life miserable. King Saul had hunted him like a dog, and he had to hide in caves in the wilderness for years. And he went through all that, and now the wicked king is dead. You'd think he'd be rejoicing. You know what David did? David, a man after God's own heart, called his mighty men together. And when he heard the news of Saul and Jonathan being killed, he called them to a time of prayer and fasting as they grieved the loss, even a guy like Saul. Fourth reason you see fasting in Scripture is to seek deliverance or protection. Even a wicked king named Jehoshaphat learned the value of being broken, of being wicked, one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. And and yet there was a season where all that wickedness, all it did was bear more problems, and it broke Jehoshaphat and the people. And he called the people to a congregational fast and said, we must seek God's protection, God's deliverance. I'm calling us into a season of prayer with fasting. And God did a special thing in those days. Number six, people would do it. Uh, or I'm sorry, number five, to express repentance and a return to God. We're going to focus on that in a little while. We'll come back to this one at the very end of the sermon in Joel chapter 2. The sixth, they would fast because they wanted to humble themselves before the Lord. Matter of fact, it's drawn attention to in a guy named Ahab. When you think of Ahab, you normally think of Jezebel, his wicked wife. You normally think of idolatry and Baal worship He too was a wicked king during Elijah's days. But there was a season he too broke. He too repented. And for a season, he let out in a season of fasting. Even a wicked guy like Ahab repented. Other examples that we see in Scripture as we walk through from Genesis into Revelation, we see all these different kinds, all these different spiritual purposes for fasting. Number seven, to seek kingdom things. It was Nehemiah who was there to see God answer the, the return of the exiles back into the Holy Lands, and yet there was the city, a constant reminder the walls had been destroyed by the enemy. And what the enemy had destroyed, Nehemiah led the people to pray and fast that God would reestablish not just their territory, but that God would help them rebuild the walls. And supernaturally, it happened as they prayed and as they fasted about kingdom things. Number eight, 
you'll see fast where we minister for other people as we pray and fast for them esther would cry out and she was raised up by god in a time such as the season she was in in a place of spiritual leadership for a nation and she would ask her people to pray and fast for her and what she was facing what other opportunities number nine because we have an enemy jesus modeled that in the wilderness we already talked about it as he started his earthly ministry he started it with prayer and fasting why are we not praying and fasting we have an enemy who's alive and well today and attacking us as well and yet we neglect the spiritual discipline of fasting and then the tenth one is simply to express our love our devotion and our worship anna if you read about anna as uh, the messiah was being born into this world anna showed up year after year after year at the temple with prayer and fasting until she saw the fulfillment of god's word she chose to do that voluntarily as she loved her god and experienced god on a daily basis but let, let me just quickly take you to a couple passages as we go into our season of fasting i want you to find your purpose why would you fast don't just fast to fast and say well i'm supposed to pick out one of those purposes because if you do it without the right purpose all you do is miss meals and god let me show you zechariah find the book of zechariah sword drill who can get there the fastest that doesn't have a digital bible ready set go zechariah 7 1 if you got it raise your hand okay we'll get it next sunday all right here we go i'll put it on the screen Actually, we'll get to verse 5, but if you read verses 1 through 4, here's the context. God's people, the Jews, had declared too fast to commemorate the destruction of the temple, to remind the people of their brokenness. Hey, we stepped outside of God's will. God sent judgment. Our temple was destroyed by the enemy, and we will never forget our rebellion and the consequences. For seven, listen to this. For 70 years, on the fifth month and the seventh month, they prayed and they fasted. For 70 years. 70 years has gone by and nothing's happened. They're still in a mess. Their hearts are still hardened. Nobody is serving God, it seems. And so they send a delegation. They put some people together and say, well, this doesn't seem to be working maybe it's because god doesn't want us to fast anymore so we get to verse five take a look at this and as they approached god the word of the lord of the host came to zechariah saying say to all the people of the land and to the priest when you fasted and when you mourned in the fifth and in the seventh months for these 70 years listen to this was it actually for me that you fasted the issue wasn't that they didn't have spiritual discipline they were fasting they fasted more than any of us in this room I'm assuming most of us in this room unless you've been doing it for 70 years and you've been doing it twice uh, throughout the year for 70 years God love you they had the spiritual discipline but they weren't doing it with the right purpose why were they doing it because they had to because they were told to because it was an edict a demand a command 
It's one of those do's. And if you don't do it, you're going to be cursed. And so they just fasted, but without a purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is not so that God will favor us again. The, the purpose is not so we'll be more blessed, so that God will pour out all of his blessings from heaven. No, the purpose is simply to make it about him. Nothing else. Don't make it about the blessing. Don't make it about what you gain from it. I promise you, you will gain in the end, but just seek him. Instead of seeking a drive-through, instead of seeking your next meal, those hunger pains will be a reminder that I can't just live on daily carbs. I need to live on Christ, my living bread, my daily bread. He is my sustenance. And that physical hunger will drive you to a deeper spiritual hunger. But we don't go there. God, revive us again. So what does that look like? Very quickly, and we close. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. How many of you through the message have already been figuring out what you're doing for lunch today? How many of you are saying, hey, come on, you're, you're killing me. It's lunchtime. It's feasting time. Fasting time. Take a look at it, Joel. So Joel would be used by God to help his people experience God through a season of fasting. Take a look at it, verse 12. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. You see, I'm going to call us to private fasting, but I'm calling us corporately to do that privately. And I hope that you will join us in that. And I'm going to express how you can do that in just a minute. But here's what Joel challenged his people with, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, this isn't Joel speaking, it's God speaking through Joel. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart and with fasting. God called him not just to repentance, not just to return back to spending time with him, but to do that in a very unique way, to do that with fasting, weeping and mourning. We're watching our world fall apart, and we don't seem to really care. Uh, we're stressed out. We're not rejoicing. We're not thrilled, but we're not mourning. You know why? Because our hearts are hard. Our hearts have been hardened by the world in which we live. God, revive our hearts. So he said, return to me with your hearts with fasting, weeping, mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Don't just go through the motions like they were. They'd rip their clothes and say, oh, look at me, I'm broken. No, your cloak is broken. Your heart's still as hard as it ever was. And God says, I don't care about your outer garments. I care about your inner garment, the heart. Let your hearts be broken. And remember this, as you return to the Lord your God, he is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. So God, may you do in our day what you did in Joel's day. Revive us again. Renew our hearts as God calls us to pursue him with fasting. So here's your part. Starting today, start praying every day. Spend the first 15 minutes, the last 15 minutes praying. Study one book a day, one chapter a day, not book, one chapter a day of Psalms. And let God speak to you. Pray. Then, as we head into next week, and you can start earlier if you want, I'm going to ask you to fast with a purpose. I'm not going to ask you to fast every day of next week, 
But starting on Palm Sunday, I am going to ask you to, during that Holy Week, seek to find the face of God and the strength of God through fasting, one of those ways that we studied earlier. Pick out your purpose, why you're fasting. If nothing else, Psalm 85, 6, God, I'm fasting that you would revive me, that you'd revive our family, that you'd revive our church family, that you'd revive our country, our world. And whatever that looks like, whether it's a partial fast, a complete fast, a just one-day fast. Some might take a day and fast for one day, eat the next day, and maybe fast another day. Some might do a two-day fast or a three-day fast. Jesus never commanded us how long to fast. He just called us to fast. So you find your way of seeking God in that Holy Week. And then what I'm going to ask us to do is come back together as a body on Good Friday. And we will come together, first service and second service, and we will pack out this auditorium, just one service, and we'll break the fast, as they often did in Scripture with the Lord's Supper. And it'll be a powerful moment as we seek His face, as we seek His strength. Would you join us in what Jesus said we should be doing?